We had a great team day, and some, some guys did some special things without a doubt. But it was a great team day, and you know going into it, it's going to be a tough day, and uh, it is satisfying to come out two wins. This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Satisfying day for the Brewers yesterday, 100%. They got two wins. We're going to talk a lot about that. Did everyone have a good holiday weekend, good Memorial Day weekend? Did we get everything checked off the list that we needed to get checked off? I'm just thinking of some things that I did. I saw Top Gun with my parents. That was pretty fun. Uh, we watched the original first, so I feel like I'm all looped in. Uh, I got some sun. I got a, got a good tan, especially Sunday and, and yesterday. I take my watch off here. There's a clear tan line around where my watch band is, so that's a good sign. Summer Grant is becoming more of a thing. We like that. I think I have tan lines on my calves as well, where my swim trunks ended. Uh, went to see a couple bands, drank some beers. It's Liney's season now. Naturally had to crack into a couple of those. And uh, yeah, saw my family, saw my grandma. 10 out of 10 Memorial Day weekend, right? Maybe you got out, fired up the grill. Bill was probably talking about that. Did Bill get out at the Tiki Bar this weekend? Better. He better have talked about it too. I didn't get to hear any of Bill's show today. I heard Ebo this morning. Uh, I got bumped from my 740 slot, which is fine. A weaker man would have a damaged ego after that. Mine is not. Uh, I didn't get to hear any of Bill's show today. Did anyone hear any of the big unit? Get out, cheeky bar, fire up the grill. Mm, yeah. Yep. Hanging out. I want, I want to be invited to Bill's Tiki Bar one day. I don't expect to be invited for Memorial Day or Labor Day. Those are probably A-list events. Uh, but, you know, random, you know, Flag Day. Could, could I go to the Bill Michaels Tiki Bar on Flag Day? That's a reasonable expectation, right? Probably not an A-list summer holiday, but, but still up there. Still, still, <laughs> still worth celebrating. I hope you had a good Memorial Day weekend. I will stop rambling about it. Let's talk about the Brewers. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I hope you did have a great holiday weekend. I'm glad you're here. Tonight's show is going to be a blast and a half. Yesterday could not have gone any better for the Brewers. Selfishly, couldn't have gone any better for me. We were given a million different fun things to talk about, and I want to talk a lot about the Brewers tonight. You bet. That includes our friend David Gasper stopping by at 530. He's from Reviewing the Brew. He does such a great job. Love talking to Big Dave. He'll be here at 5.30, and I already have uh, our random brewer of the day that I can't wait to share with him. Uh, that's something we started doing last week. Uh, I gave him Jody Garrett. He gave me Dave Burba. Today, I will raise him uh, another random brewer. It's going to be a starting pitcher for me today, uh, and I can't wait to share that with him. And, of course, talk about the doubleheader. Talk about this Brewers team dealing with some injuries, but had some contributors this weekend, like Tyrone Taylor. What do the Brewers do with them? We got to talk about that. Keston Hira. All of a sudden is hitting okay. We can talk about that. And some other players who had great breakout performances. Aaron Ashby was great. What about Ethan Small? Two innings, good. The third inning, not so much. David Gasper is great on prospects. We'll talk to him in an hour and a half. I want to talk about the NBA Eastern Conference Finals and the finals, which will now start in two days on Thursday night. At some point before 5 o'clock, so maybe 4.40 or something, just a couple of things that I want to throw out there about the finals. But other than that, the rest of the show going to be all Brewers, and you can join. Give me a text or a call, 608-796-2558. If Twitter is your thing and you're on Twitter, give, give me a follow. Throw me a bone. Give me, give me some interaction, which is what I crave. People of my generation, we only feel validation if we get uh, get that attention on social media. So please follow me, at Wisco Grant, and more importantly, we can tweet back and forth during the show, which is a good time. 
Let's start with the Memorial Day doubleheader yesterday, or the MDDH, as I've abbreviated it in my notes. Um, I'm curious. Do you like doubleheaders? Like, take yesterday out. When the Brewers have a doubleheader, do you get excited about it? I wonder if we were to do a straw poll and just go up to people on the street and be like, hey, do you like doubleheaders? I wonder what the approval rating would be of doubleheaders. Because if it goes well, it's really fun. If you get two wins, they're great. But if your team plays like dump and you lose twice in one day, they kind of stink. However, Memorial Day is perfect day for a doubleheader. The MDDH, right? We have something to watch when everyone's home and off of work. And if it stinks, whatever. We'll go outside, go out on the boat, get the grill fired up, go out to the Tiki Bar, something like that. I don't know, right? We had an option yesterday, right? It was a holiday. Watch the Brewers if they're on and they were on. And if the games stink, you know, we had options to do other things. Yesterday, I wanted two things out of this doubleheader. I had two goals for our Brewers. Two competitive, great games. Wanted some quality baseball to watch. We went two for two on that. And I was really hoping between the two games, we would get some different topics and some different storylines and some different things to talk about. And wow, did we get that. Some really entertaining storylines to talk about from yesterday's doubleheader. The MDDDH or the Memorial Day doubleheader, the MDDH. Yes. Let's start with game one. Ethan Small's debut wasn't a disaster. I don't know how to describe it. First two innings were really nice. Made some nice pitches. You could see the stuff was there. And it wasn't a disaster, which you remember Aaron Ashby's debut last year. Didn't he give up like seven runs in the first inning? It was a disaster. It was an abject, complete, total disaster. So if we're grading on that curve, Ethan Small was great yesterday. He ended up going, let's see, two and two-thirds, four hits, two earned runs, four strikeouts. All things considered, could be a lot worse. Went way better than Aaron Ashby, who debuted also against the Cubs, remember? Last year, you could see the stuff. You could see he put a couple of uh, stretches together, made some nice pitches, had two nice innings. I'll take it. From game one, I want to talk about the offense. I don't want to talk about Ethan Small. We'll get back to that in about an hour and a half with David Gasper. I want to talk about the offense. This is how the scoring progressed in game one yesterday. I'm going to lay it out for you, okay? Jace Peterson home run. Brewers lead 1-0. Nico Horner, RBI single. Cubs lead 2-1. Keston Hira, RBI single. The game's tied 2-2. P.J. Higgins home run. Cubs lead 3-2. Rafael Ortega home run. Cubs lead 4-2. Tyrone Taylor home run, tie game 4-4. Luis Urias, Brewers lead 7-4. He's got a home run. Nico Horner, RBI single, Brewers lead 7-5. And Ian Happ, RBI ground out, Brewers lead 7-6. And that would be the final score. Josh Hader would come in to slam the door after a little bit of drama with Devin Williams, of course, in the eighth inning. Little intrigue that stemmed from an error, so it wasn't really even Devin Williams' fault. He did a good job to pitch out of it. One inning. One hit, but he got that strikeout at the end. Very theatrical, very dramatic. It was great. It was awesome, right? I break down the scoring, and I read that for you point by point, play by play, run by run, to illustrate something, right? Game one yesterday, game in which the Brewers won 7-6, to that game wasn't won or lost in one inning. That game was not defined by a three-run fifth inning for the Brewers or a four-run fourth inning for the Cubs. It wasn't one inning that won or lost that game for either team. And too often, that's how a Brewer game goes, right? Brewers, especially losses, and most of their wins are defined by one inning, right? They take an early one nothing or 2 nothing lead, say, in the third inning. Oh, we're up 2 nothing. Here we go. And a lot of times, the Brewers need to win 2 to nothing or 2 to one 
in order to win the game. They get a two-run homer. They get a, a big double that clears the bases, and they're up 2 nothing, 3 nothing in the fourth. And their recipe for the win, then, is to hold on and to not let that lead slip away. We talked about this a little bit last week. Once the Brewers take the lead, they either win or they either give up the lead. Not a lot of back-and-forth affairs with the Brewers, right? Typically, they get one little spurt of scoring, and if that's enough to win, great. And if not, they end up losing because they're not going to get another a flare of offense at any point. Game one of the NLDS against the Braves last fall. Perfect example. Absolutely perfect example. That game was 0-0 until the seventh inning. Remember, that's when Rowdy hit that two-run home run. And that was all the Brewers got. And they had to hold on to win that game 2-1. to one. Very, very nerve-wracking, right? That's how way too many Brewer games go. They get one little flare of offense, and that's got to be enough. And if it's not enough, then they lose because their offense isn't going to come back innings later and put more runs on the board, right? As we talked about last week, the Brewers win a majority of their games, it seems, by threading a needle, a really fragile, fickle, tough needle, right? Like that NLDS game against the Braves is the perfect example. That is the example I want you to think of when we're talking about this. They get two runs, and they both came in the seventh inning. They came on one play, and that was all they're getting. So the starting pitcher basically needed to throw a shutout and the bullpen needed to be flawless because they needed to hold on to win by only scoring two runs. That's way too often how the Brewers win games. Yesterday's game one, that's a great example of something I want to see more from the Brewers. I want to see the Brewers be able to take a lead, then lose the lead, then take it back, fight back, score runs early, score runs late, right? And in Adam McAlvey's piece at MLB.com today, there's a really interesting nugget on Ethan Small in there from Keston here, and it's a good roundup from a really good weekend of baseball from the Brewers. They've won three in a row, fun doubleheader. But there was a, a term that Adam McAlvey used in there. He called it a seesaw game, which maybe that's common, and I'm just the one who doesn't say it. I want to see the Brewers win more seesaw games, right? Because when the Brewers went up in game one, let's see, they went up one nothing, and I thought, oh boy, they're going to have to hold on. Then they got behind... 2-1. to one. Then the Brewers tied it 2-2 two, two, and then they fell behind. And then they scored 2 in the 6th. I want to see them deliver multiple punches throughout the course of a game. I don't want their wins or losses to be fined by one inning. And in game 1 yesterday pretty good example. Multiple sources of offense. They took the lead, lost the lead, took it back. I want to see a team that's a little bit more resilient offensively than we've seen in the past. And again, when we talk about this, think of game 1 against the Braves in the NLDS. That's the perfect example. And yesterday was the complete and total opposite of that game. Taking a lead, losing the lead, taking it back, fighting back, putting insurance runs on the board, activity on offense. And the offense isn't just defined by one aim. That's what I want to see more moving forward. And we got a great example of that yesterday in game one. Game two, the Aaron Ashby game. I could do a whole show on game two alone yesterday. We could talk about Aaron Ashby for two hours. I was driving back from a folks place yesterday. I was up north. And it was about the third inning, and Aaron Ashby's dealing, okay? And I'm listening on my way back, and I, while driving, bad me, pulled out my phone, and I tweeted something, right? Because my brain started running wild. My imagination started to go. I got really excited. I tweeted this. What if we get a career game from Aaron Ashby here? Like his version of Peralta's eight-inning shutout of Cincy in early 2019. Remember that game? Then I tweeted again. I'm hopeful. Would be an awesome thing to talk about this week. I was hoping. Let's get an awesome early career-defining game from Aaron Ashby. Let's see something great. Let's let's see the high end of Aaron Ashby here. And he struck. <laughs> what did he strike out? Twelve yesterday. It was great. That's exactly what we got. 
right? Incredible content for this show. I wanted Aaron Ashby to have a great game because I wanted to talk about it today, right? We've seen Corbin Burns, what he could do, Freddie Peralta, Brandon Woodruff, even Eric Lauer. We've seen it over a large sample size going all the way back to kind of middle of the summer last year. Aaron Ashby, we've seen it in moments. We've seen pitches here and there, but really start to finish, I wanted to see that game from him yesterday, and we got it. The Brewers end up winning 3-1. to one. Remember that start, that Freddie Peralta start in early 2019? That's what Aaron Ashby's game reminded me of yesterday. I went back and I looked at the box score, right? 2019 was an interesting year for Freddie Peralta because he started the season as a starter, then pitched a lot in middle relief, was used kind of in lots of different ways. He started the season in the rotation. His first start was in late March. He went three innings, six hits, four and runs, three walks, three strikeouts, 80 pitches. Not great. His second start, and this is the start I want to talk about, April 3rd, eight innings pitched, two hits, zero runs, 11 strikeouts, no walks. Perfect. Elite. Can't get any better than that. Now, he would only start six more games, and his longest outing post-April 3rd was six innings versus the Miami Marlins in early June. The whole year, we were watching Freddie Peralta kind of struggle, could never really get it going, and we always hearkened back to that Cincinnati game. Every time Freddie would come out as a starter and struggle or come in as a middle reliever and we're, well, is he going to be a relief guy or is he going to be a starter? We'd always say, yeah, but remember that game against the Reds? Remember that game back in April against the Reds when he was so brilliant? It might have been on Mother's Day. I don't remember correctly. Maybe it was that weekend. We would always bring up that game against the Reds to the point where it almost became a bit. Right? Freddie Peralta would come out. He'd pitch two-thirds of an inning. He'd give up six runs and everyone would want him cut, want him off the team. And we'd say, yeah, but remember the Reds game? which became ancient history at a point because the season is so long, right? Freddie wasn't ready to be a starter in 2019. I think he was only 23 at the time, either 23 or a very young 24. He's 25 now, 25, he's almost 26, right? But in that season, in 2019, you could see he had the stuff. And the best example of that was an eight-inning shutout, 11-strikeout performance against the Reds. Now, Ashby didn't go eight shutout innings. He went into the seventh but he had 12 strikeouts and and the Brewers won three to one. The one run he gave up was one swing of the bat to Contreras. It was really the only mistake he made all day. Even when he ran into trouble in the seventh, it was a wrong way ground ball and two infield hits. Can't really fault Freddie Peralta too much for that or not Freddie Peralta, but Aaron Ashby now in the same spot as Freddie Peralta was in, in early 2019. Aaron Ashby hasn't arrived, right? Not even close. Very similarly to how Freddie Peralta hadn't arrived in early 2019. He wasn't ready either. But we saw that moment from Freddie Peralta. Yesterday, we saw that moment from Aaron Ashby. Aaron Ashby's going to have starts this year. Filling in for Peralta or if, you know, Burns or Woodruff misses time moving on into the future. He's going to get plenty of opportunities to start this year. And I believe, I, I hope I'm wrong, but I believe that he'll have some games where he goes three and two-thirds innings, gives up four runs. He's going to have some games that aren't that great. Establishing yourself as a starting pitcher is really, really hard. You need to do it over and over and over again. You need to get good, and then the league watches film on you and picks up on your tendencies, and then you need to reinvent yourself again and tweak what you do and improve and get better. You're always establishing yourself and then establishing yourself again as a starting pitcher in Major League Baseball because good hitters start to figure you out, and then you need to start to figure out hitters again and again and again, and it's a process, and it takes time. And even though Freddie Peralta was capable of throwing an eight-inning shutout against the Reds in 2019... He couldn't do it every time. He didn't have the consistency. His process wasn't pure. He walked a lot of guys. There was a lot of inefficiency in his game. Ashby might be farther along than Peralta was in 2019, but yesterday's game goes to show you. He's on the right path. 
and he has the stuff. I'm very intentional with that wording. The stuff. You can see the way the ball comes out of his hand. He just has the stuff, and Freddie Peralta was that way, too. Craig Council said after the game, this is what we expect of Aaron Ashby. This wasn't a surprise. Well, I mean, I think Aaron's a good pitcher. This is what we think Aaron is going to be. I mean, I, he's throwing the ball really well, and he's, he's got just big-time stuff. stuff. I mean, this is as go. good as stuff as, uh, you know, you can you can just kind of tell by the looks on the other side and the hitters, they're having trouble with the stuff. And it, he's around the strike zone, it's, and it's it's also hard to do damage against him. You know, we, you know, he had Contreras took a good swing on a changeup, but it's, it's hard to get the ball in the air against him. One thing we should probably mention, and the fact that we haven't mentioned it until 16 minutes into the show, just goes to show you how routine it's become. Uh, Josh Shader got two saves yesterday, uh, which I thought would be a really rare occurrence. I guess it's not. It's happened a couple of times for the Brewers alone. Raleigh Fingers, Pete Ladd, Raleigh Fingers again, Mark Clear, Mike Fetters, Mike DeJean, DeJean. Maybe David Gasparil bring one of these names today as his random brewer. Jim Henderson most recently did it in 2013. Jim Henderson now in the Brewers coaching staff, I believe. Craig Council on Josh Hader pitching twice. It was Josh, you know, and, you know, it's, it's a heck of a feat, and it's doing a little something extra for the for the guys when when they need it, as, as a couple guys did today, and that's what it, that's what a team's all about. Sometimes you got to do a little extra, and, and Josh did a little extra today. 608-796-2558. We're going to talk Brewers for about 15 more minutes, so give me a call or a text. You can find me on Twitter, at Wisco Grant. Let's talk more Brewers, including the starting rotation, even without Burns and without Woodruff, or without Peralta and Woodruff. Sorry, there's so many good pitchers. Get them mixed up. Even without those two guys, I still think this is one of the best Brewers rotations in my lifetime, which says more about the previous 25 years than it does about this rotation, but still, I want to talk starting pitching. Coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Ground ball to third. Brasso goes home. That's one to first. Two double play. Brasso, Caratini, and Hira, and Brad Boxberger with a Houdini act. You know when I saw that play yesterday? And Brad Boxberger worked out of that jam in. I believe the seventh inning? Yeah, it's the seventh because he came on to relieve Aaron Ashby. I thought, see, it's not just us. Other teams also load the bases and and fail to score. It's not just my team. And sometimes I think Brewers fans, they get so bent out of shape about runners left in scoring position. And especially when they load the bases, the Brewers load the bases and fail to score. And we get so angry. And sometimes I, I want to say, you know, it does happen every once in a while. And it doesn't just happen to us. It seems like it happens to us a lot. It also happens to other teams. Other teams also leave runners in scoring position. Other teams load the bases and fail to score. Sometimes it happens. And when I saw that yesterday, I said, see, it's not just us. We're not, we're not that special. We're not that unique. Every team sometimes sucks at offense. Cubs maybe a little bit more right now. A lot of guys I don't recognize. I'm sure there's some Cubs fans listening. Who are these guys? P.J. Higgins? Like, I, I know I know your team traded away a lot of their studs, but I thought I'd at least know most of the names. A lot of guys I didn't recognize yesterday, uh, which just goes to show the moves that the Cubs have made over the last two years in their rebuild. This is the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills. I'm so glad you're here. So excited to talk Brewers for the next couple of hours. David Gasper going to be here in about an hour and 10 minutes. We're going to talk about the doubleheader, talk about Tyrone Taylor, what he's doing. I want to talk about Keston Hira. And, of course, we will both present a random brewer of the day. I always look forward to that. I've selected a starting pitcher uh, for my nomination today, or not nomination, I guess just my selection 
for a uh, <laughs> for a random brewer. So that's coming up. Find me on Twitter at Wisco Grant. You can text and call the show 608-796-2558. Pete and Chippewa. Yes, I was uh, up north most of uh, most of all weekend. Uh, not Friday night, but the rest of the weekend. Yeah. And Pete, seeing you hail from the land of lining kugels, you would not believe how many liney shirts, hand koozies, umbrellas, uh, biker jackets with patches. I mean, it was all lineys. And maybe it's always been that way. And I see a lot of liney stuff down here a couple of hours to the south, too, but nothing like I saw this weekend. So just know that the pride of Chippewa is, is alive and well in your neck of the woods. Thanks for the text, Pete. Wisco Chad. Uh, it, well, I can't read that on the radio. Don't send that to me. The rotation of Maddox, Glavine, and John Smoltz were lighting it up in Atlanta. This one is comparable. We're not talking about we're not talking about other teams' rotations. Here's what I want to do. Wisco Chad, you're you're jumping the gun. So maybe I should I should talk about this Brewers rotation a little bit. I saw a tweet this morning from our good good friend Bart Winkler, who's on the show last week, I think. Was it last Wednesday or was it a week ago Wednesday? I can't remember. Anyways, he tweeted this morning. Even with Woodruff and Peralta down, a rotation of Burns, Lauer, Ashby, Hauser, TBD is still better than any other Brewers rotation in my lifetime. It's a pretty pretty bold statement. I think it's better than 90%, 95%, right? So obviously this rotation currently without Woody and Peralta isn't as good as they were last year. So Burns, Woodruff, Peralta, Lauer, Hauser, Ashby, if you go six, that's the best of my lifetime, and it's not close. You'd be hard-pressed to show me a a previous Brewers rotation that's better than that, but I wasn't alive for the 80s, so you could make the case for that. I saw a lot of tweets when making this case today. Oh, the 2011 rotation. 2011's better than this. What is it with 2011? My memory might not be perfect, but any rotation that features Sean Markham, Randy Wolf, and Chris Narvison, I don't... (laughs) Yeah, they had Granke and Gallardo, but I don't think Gallardo even at his peak, is on the level that Lauer is right now or Burns or Woodruff or Peralta. I get those guys aren't healthy. Gallardo was an ace during a time where the Brewers just weren't all that great. And this is not me slandering Giovanni Gallardo. That's not what I'm doing. Um, But maybe we misremember Gallardo a little bit. Greinke was ridiculous, but some of you were really arguing that the 2011 rotation was something special. It was fine. Randy Wolf? Sean Markham? Uh, No. I think I'll take this rotation better. I, so I'm arguing that this rotation currently, right now, even without Freddie and Woody, I think is is one of the best, if not the best, of my lifetime. 608-796-2558. Rockin' Rick is here. What's up, Rick? Welcome. Hey, um, I'm coming on 61 from Winona, so I might come in and out. But All right. The guy, the guy that you're going to be talking to at 530, do you know if he ever sees the minor league players at all? Oh, yeah. He, the, the, another thing. That's why I can't wait to talk to him about Ethan Small because he's all in on Hedbert Perez and all these other guys. He watches a ton of minor league, yeah. Supposedly have a stud outfielder that hits with a high average and supposedly hits 500 footers. If, if you get a chance, ask him if he knows who that is. I was hoping he'd come up when Tyrone got hurt. Okay, hold Or on. when Hunter got hurt, I mean. Hold on, let me write this down. So what, what should I ask him? So stud outfielder. Yeah. This guy, whoever, whoever was talking about him, I, I apologize. It was before Hunter Renfro got hurt. They were talking about how bad Kane was. And he said that there's a guy that is, he thinks he's major league ready right now. And he's hitting a really high average and he's hitting 500 foot home runs. I assume it's in AAA. I guess I don't even know what, what the level of the minors he's in. But 
supposedly was ready for a call up. Okay, he should know who. If he doesn't know who, then I then I certainly am not going to figure it out. Yeah, I can yeah, ask him about that was, for sure. For sure, yeah. When I heard it, it was just a couple days before Hunter got hurt, and they were referring to how bad um, Locaine's been, and this guy thought that. So I was hoping that he'd come up when Hunter Renfro got hurt. Hey, by the way, not a bad weekend for Lorenzo Cain. He had a nice little Sunday. Didn't he have a home run at the end of the game? I know we haven't talked about Sunday's game. We've been focusing on the doubleheader, but Cain did some things this weekend. Yeah, I'm sorry I missed it. (laughs) That's okay. We need to see a little bit more. Yeah, I got you, Rick. That's all I got for you today. All right. Thanks, Grant. Yeah, enjoy the drive. It's a beautiful drive coming back from Winona. Thanks for the call. That's Rockin' Rick, 608-796-2558. Boathouse Tom texts in. The only good thing about Randy Wolf as a starter is that he could throw a 59 mile per hour curveball. Yeah, that was fun to watch. I do think that was a fun memory. I'm not going to stand for Randy Wolf. When you're sitting at a bar with your buddies, you're talking about, oh, you know which pitcher was really underrated. I always thought Randy Wolf was really underrated. You know, deserves some all star buzz. Never got it. Like, no, no, no one's doing that podcast. Who does the Lockdown Brewers podcast? Is it Vinny Rotino? Vinny Rotino's not going on the Lockdown Brewers podcast over the All-Star break and be like, hey, if we're talking Brewers history, you know who's really underrated is that Randy Wolf guy. Although Sean Markham had some nice outings. I just, so we put it out there on Twitter this morning. I know Bart Winkler tweeted it out. I tweeted about it too. I said, you know, this rotation even without Woodruff and Peralta, might be the best Brewers rotation of my lifetime. And a lot of people are like, don't forget 2011. I don't know. Chris Narvison being in that rotation, I think, disqualifies that a little bit. I'd take what we have now, even without Woody and Freddie. The 2018 rotation's really, really funny. It's Shasin Anderson, Jr. Guerra, and then some combination of Brent Suter, Wade Miley, and... Peralta, Freddie Peralta, not Willie Peralta, but Freddie Peralta. They all started somewhere from 14 to 20 games. That starting rotation, that team was a game away from the World Series. They had a lead at home in game seven of the NLCS. That rotation. So I guess the starting rotation isn't everything, um, but certainly the margin for error becomes a little bit wider when you can boast a rotation that the Brewers are right now. I just, the Brewers don't have a lot of great pitching in their history. And I think this rotation, even without Woody and Peralta, is still up there with the best, if maybe not the best. Matt is in Cross Plains, 608-796-2558. What's up, Matt? Hey, Grant. I was just uh, calling on Rock and Rick there. I think he's talking <laughs> about Joey Weimer. Oh, yeah, uh, probably. Like, That's a name I know. Like, that sounds right. Yeah, he's got like 40 home runs in his minors career. I don't know if he's hitting 500-foot bombs, but... He's got some power, it looks like. Close as far enough. as all the Cubs, you don't you don't notice, you know, only one of the guys is from the sell-off last year. That was uh, starting pitcher Anderson Espinosa, I believe. As far as the other guys, those are guys, you know, that they've uh, signed throughout uh, the last couple of years, and they're just bringing them up now. So, so uh, are, are sad, you... But, sad but exciting times right now for us Cubs fans. Yeah, well, and like Brewers... Here's the thing. Brewers fans will probably talk smack to Cubs fans. Like, oh, where'd all your stars go? Well, this is what teams do, right? They rebuild. They're on the upswing or they're on the downswing, right? The Cubs won a World Series. So Brewers fans can stuff it 
for the most part, because we don't have a World Series. And if Packers fans are going to yell at Vikings fans for never having a Super Bowl, then that also applies to baseball. I get championships aren't everything, but still. Are the Cubs, I asked David Monona this last week, are the Cubs going to trade Contreras? I feel like they dealt all of their star players and then they just kept him. Well, we talked about this last week. I think uh, it's inevitable if we keep uh, playing like this. I thought for a little bit we, you know, we had some of these 29, 30-year-old journeymen rookies who, you know, are they're just streaky hitters. That's the problem. We're, we're just too streaky to contend. So uh, Contreras is playing well, so he's likely gone, I'm sure, if uh, we can't win any more games. I don't know who we're going to trade him to, but... You know, we'll see, I guess. Backup catcher, you can always use a backup catcher, especially now with the DH. I think that's got to make Contreras' value a little bit better, right? Because if a team wants to add a bat, but they love their catcher, then they can still trade for Contreras, use him as a DH, or work him in some other way, right? I, maybe that helps the Cubs a little bit this yeah. year. Yep, and the only way I don't think they would trade him, the Cubs, is because literally if you look back at last year, I think they had like eight different backup catchers. Yeah. So we don't have any catching depth in the uh, in the minors, and that's P.J. Higgins for you. He's our top backup <laughs> call-up uh, when uh, Jan Gomes is down. And, you know, so I think the Brewers, once again, your fans, are, you're, you're talking all the right, you're saying all the right things. You're getting mad when you lose these one-run games, and you're, you know, you've got a great winning percentage. So, you know, you're doing the right thing. Yeah, we're, we're right back on the saddle. We, we've done this the last couple of years. We're, we know, you know, the runners in scoring position, the offense going quiet, and then, you know, we'll see what happens in the playoffs. We've, we've been here before. Thanks, Matt. I'm going to let you go. Have an awesome night. Yep. Yeah, you have a good one, guys. Yep. Matt in Cross Plains, 608-796-25. JT tweets in at Wisco Grant, don't talk down Markham. I saw him hit a grand slam on the 4th of July. Shut up. Did that really happen? Well, nobody said Sean Markham isn't a patriot and a true American. I just, he just wasn't really all that good in the playoffs against the Cardinals. I mean, he couldn't hit the zone, if I remember correctly. Here's what we're going to do. I want to take a break. I want to come back and talk a little basketball and I want to see if I can find video of Sean Markham hitting a grand slam on the 4th of July, because if this is true, I retract 80% of my criticism of the 2012 or 2011 Brewers starting rotation. Wisco Sports Show back in a couple of minutes. Stick around. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Sports Show, less than one hour until we get the weekly privilege of speaking with our friend David Gasper from Reviewing the Brew. I think Matt in Cross Plains was right about the question from Rock and Rick. I think it is Joey Weimer that he was talking about. We could talk about Joey Weimer. I'm sure Gasper will jump at that. I'm already excited to talk about Ethan Small with him because Gasper's really good with prospects. Keeps a good eye on the minors. We'll talk about that. And Aaron Ashby, who is a developing player has not yet arrived as a major leaguer. We thought maybe Freddie Peralta had arrived at the start of 2019. Remember that inning or that uh, that eight-inning game against the Reds? Ooh, that was pretty great. And then two years later, he finally, you know, entrenches himself in the starting rotation. It takes time, right? And I know Aaron Ashby has not arrived. Yesterday was not an arrival. That was a, a reminder that one day I think he can be really, really great. And we'll talk about those things with David Gasper here in a few minutes. I want to talk some hoops. First, let's talk to Big Joe. It's been a while, Big Joe. 608-796-2558. What's going on? Grant Bills, it has been a while, buddy. How are you doing? Uh, I'm living good. I saw you going back and forth on Twitter with David Monona this morning. It's like Clash of the Titans, <laughs> my Twitter timeline. Right. 
Right? No, Grant, I've been really good. I've just been really busy with work. Just got some new hours, and good. I got myself a girlfriend now, so. Oh, really? I do. Really? Well, tell me well, tell me one thing about her. Tell, tell me one interesting thing about your girlfriend. I'm curious. She's great, and we have a lot in common, so. Oh, well, that's happy. I'm and happy to hear. My family really likes her. She is an excellent cook. She bakes, Ooh. and she, uh, she made a really good banana cream pie about two weeks ago, so that was awesome. Banana cream pie. Do you guys go to Sky Carp games together? Is she a big Sky Carp fan? We are actually going next Friday night because nice. it is. Yeah, I remember, it'll be one of the first weekends of June, mm-hmm. and uh, believe it or not, the Timber Rattlers are going to be in Beloit, oh. and they'll be known as the Honor Tuggers. The, uh, wait, what? Did they change their name, too? Yeah. They're not the T-Rats anymore? They, no, for June Dairy Month, they don't go by the T-Rats, they go by the Otter Tuggers. Oh, because it's Dairy Month. Yeah, that's right. I remember that now. I was going to say, I have a T-Rats shirt. That's going to become a, that's going to, vintage as they call it now. It'll be worth some money, but I, I forgot it's Dairy Month. Okay, so you got a good girlfriend. That's great. I feel like we're catching up. What did you think of the Brewers doubleheader yesterday? Hey, I tell you what, they are, they're on a tear right now. It's been fun to watch, and I, I'm with you. I was listening to the show, and yeah, I think our rotation's just about as good as any other one in baseball right now, Grant. I would tend to agree. I'm excited to watch the rest of the series against the Cubs. I, I mean, I just like watching beat up on the Cubs. It's fun. The vibes were good. The game was at Wrigley. It was Memorial Day. It was it was a very pleasing and entertaining day yesterday, even though, yeah, I know it's easy for us to say. Our team won. What right. do you think about the NBA Finals? I'm about to talk about that. Do you have a pick? Yeah, Grant, I'm going to go with the Warriors in five. I mean, I think Boston's been red hot, but I just don't think they're going to be able to uh, keep up with the experience and the firepower of Golden State. Uh, Grant, I'm actually going to the Brewers Padres this weekend because you you know me pretty well. And you, yep, I'm a Padres fan, so I'll be cheering for my Padres. Well, that kind of sucks, Big Joe. I mean, enjoy the game, but that, that kind of stinks. That you're going to go cheer against the hometown team. Yeah, Alicia, my girlfriend's been on me for it. So, well, you kind of uh, you're kind of turning into a coastal elite here. You're cheering for a California team. It's like I don't even know you. <laughs> hey, my second favorite college football team is USC. Oh, God. Oh, God. Okay. Okay, we'll work on that a different time. Thanks for the call, Big Joe. Nice Green, to at least I didn't, hey, yeah. Green, at least I didn't say I like the Cubs or Ohio State, so I'm okay. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, there are worse things than liking USC. Big Joe's just uh, he's a coastal elite now. We've lost him. I appreciate the call, Big Joe. 608-796-2558. Let's talk a little bit about basketball just for a few minutes we'll go back to brewers at five o'clock a lot of brewers to talk about still tonight but now the nba finals has been set game seven east finals was on sunday night i forced my family to watch with me uh i didn't really give them a choice i just, I just turned it on it was about as lame of a game seven as you will find i know it got close at the end and there's a little bit of intrigue um i was just turned off by everyone involved not named jimmy butler and i don't even like Jimmy Butler that much. I'm not a lover of Jimmy Butler. By the end of the series, I think I was. He was incredible. He's a grown man, right? He left it all out there. Everyone else, I just, just play basketball, guys. Just cut the crap and play basketball, please. Kyle Lowry was a piece of furniture. He's basically an end table, maybe an ottoman for six of the seven games. He's flopping and crying. He's trying to get every call. He's injuring himself, trying to fall down on offense, and it just... Dude, you're a grown man. People are watching, okay? Millions at home can see you. They can see what you're doing on TV, and it's embarrassing. Stop it. Get some help. Grant Williams might have the most lopsided points-to-wine ratio in the league. Like, for every bucket he scores, 
He probably complains on 10 different occasions, at least to an official. So we're looking at 1 to 10, 1 to 15, somewhere in there. Certainly the most lopsided points to wine ratio in the league. Jalen Brown can't dribble. Jason Tatum takes 20 shots to get 23 points. And I feel like we don't talk about that enough, although he hit his threes on Sunday night. So that made his efficiency look a little bit better. Derek White. I don't get it. Derek White just throws the ball at the rim, and half of the time it goes in. I don't understand how that works. Miami, I almost feel bad for him. Victor Oladipo was arguably their second-best player, at least on offense in that series. Bam, I I like Bam. Well, actually, I don't know how much I like Bam. I'm conflicted on how much I like Bam. I just never want to hear him compared to Giannis in any way, ever. And this has happened with a couple of players in the NBA. It happened with Ben Simmons. It's happened with Bam where they get just good enough and their game is almost similar enough to Giannis where the comparisons start getting thrown around. And as soon as you de- you lose me, you lose me completely. Anytime you compare a player to Giannis, I no longer like that player because it's not comparable at all. Never mentioned Bam in the same name as Giannis. Bam disappeared for the first, let's see, four of five or first three of four games. I think his game three was pretty darn good. Or was that game four where he had the, that little bit of an offensive explosion? I think that might've been in, in Boston in game three, right? But he was passive. He was quiet and he was going against a really good front court, a really good defensive front court for Boston. But still another player who drove me nuts for a different reason. I feel like Tyler Harrow should be getting some heat after this series. Maybe I'm just being a hater, probably being a little bit of a hater, but he tweaks his groin. And unless this injury was way worse than we were kind of led to believe, Tyler Hero misses a few must-win games, dresses a little bit like a dweeb on the sideline, and then there are pictures that come out on Sunday night after they lose that he's out clubbing. Like, dude, live your life. I get there are other things than sports, and we don't expect these guys to take work home with them all the time, but old man take a little bit. Players these days are just way too okay with missing games. They're way too okay with missing games. I thought John, and and Twitter is another thing. The fashion on the sideline is the thing. I just read it all. And I feel like if you are injured, you need to quiet down a little bit, both on Twitter, both on the sideline. You need to, the the clothes, let's take it easy. All right. You don't get to dress like, um, I don't know who dresses crazy. I don't have an example. You don't get to wear outrageous outfits. You don't get to dress like Cam Newton in a post-game presser if you're not playing because you're injured. Right? There's just a certain way you should carry yourself. And it seems like you're okay with missing games. That's what it seemed like with Tyler Hero. That's what it seemed like with some other players in the playoffs, too. And it just it irks me. Because if Tyler Hero plays in two of those final three games and is at least passable on offense, he probably win this series. Same way if Chris Middleton was able to play in the Bucs series, the Bucs probably win that series. So, again, it's the Celtics here. And we see if they can take advantage of it and get it done against the Warriors. I don't know. I want to pick the Celtics to win this series. I'm being, my, my, my innards, my instincts are telling me that the Celtics are the better team, and I think they are, but I don't know if they're going to play like the better team. That's been their issue so far. Let's talk about that coming back next. We'll talk about Brewers back at 5 o'clock. I promise we'll reset the show, talk about both of those awesome wins in the doubleheader yesterday. Hear a little bit more from Craig Council. David Gasper will join us as well. I want to give my first blush thoughts on the NBA Finals, and then I promise it'll be baseball the rest of the way. Wisco Sports Show back in three minutes. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.
Sports Show. The number to call or text if you'd like, 608-796-2558. We just heard from Big Joe, first time in a while. Matt and Cross Plains, we heard from Rock and Rick, if I remember correctly. Jared in DeForest, not calling, but texting. And sorry, Jared, your text came in out of order. So I on the fly here am going to try to... I'm going to try to figure out which order these goes in. Hold on. I'm going to turn the music for six seconds here, and then I'm going to come back and do this. Hold on. I need a sec. Okay. I think I got this. I think I got this. Um, As much as I don't want the Celtics to win the title, I don't like the idea of the Warriors winning another title. What do you think is the best outcome, a team with a lot of recent success or a team with a lot of historic success? Okay. Thank you, Jared. Sorry. It took a sec for me to read that through to make sure I had it in the right order. Um, I don't hate the Warriors. I think I'm an outlier in this department. I talked to Evo this morning and he asked me quickly, you know, original thoughts, quick thoughts on um, the NBA Finals before it starts. I believe game one's on Thursday, correct? Let me check. I think it's Thursday night. Um, and I'm off on Friday. I'm moving. So we'll have to wait until Monday to talk about it. Okay, so Wednesday night at eight, Celtics Warriors. Yeah, I don't hate the Warriors. I told that to Evo this morning. I am not a hater of the Warriors. Even when Kevin Durant was there, I didn't actively cheer against them. I actually cheered for them in 17 and 18 because I don't want the Rockets to win. Screw James Harden and a little bit anti-Chris Paul too. And I don't really love LeBron that much. So I, I had no issue cheering for the Warriors and Kevin Durant to beat the Cavs in the finals. Maybe I am a LeBron hater. I don't think I'm a hater. Just not, not my thing. Not my guy. So I'm not a Warriors hater. The idea of the Warriors winning this title, it's actually kind of funny because you would have the Warriors pre-Durant and then Durant gets there and Draymond Green tells him, I don't believe you or we don't need you. Why did I say believe you? Oh, because I'm, hold on. Coach Wench, I was reading your text while I was talking. I saw the word believe. When, remember this? When Draymond Green told Kevin Durant, we don't need you. And then maybe they don't need him. And if they win this year, that would just be pretty funny. Maybe that would be an anti-Kevin Durant legacy thing and a pro-Steph Curry legacy thing. That would be pretty cool. I don't hate the Warriors. I detest the Celtics. Um, But as a fan of the league, I like how the Celtics have built themselves. I just personally have a million different things I don't like about them. Coach Wench says, and this is where I got confused, I truly believe the NBA has told the referees not to hand out any technical fouls in the postseason. These clowns are abusing the refs on every call. It's time to give a few tees early and shut them up. Yes. I love that. Put them in their place. Well, Coach Wench, it's just so annoying, isn't it? It's so annoying. It's every possession. And it's guys who shouldn't be complaining. If you're a superstar and you're getting popped on the way to the rim and you feel like you should be going to the free throw line and you, and you want to stand to the side and, you know, exchange a couple of words with Ed Malloy, you know, go off. You know, have that chat with Tony Brothers. Grant Williams, and this is why I brought up the bucket to wine ratio for Grant Williams. He has to complain more relative to his offensive production. He has to complain more than any other player in NBA history or in the league right now. So it's it's not just whining to the officials and abusing the officials. It's guys who have who have no stake. They have no standing. I don't want guys who barely carved out a role for the NBA with themselves. Those guys shouldn't get to chase down the refs. And I agree. But it's funny, Coach Wentz, you know, they teed up Giannis for just throwing down in Al Horford's face and looking at him. Quickest tech. Quickest tech in the last couple of weeks was that play. But yeah, it's just, it's so, so annoying. Draymond Green, it's funny because Draymond Green says that he gets teed up because he's Draymond Green. I think it's the opposite. The only reason Draymond Green doesn't get ejected every game is because he's Draymond Green. 
So it's kind of a messed up situation. Um, I don't want to see anyone thrown out, but I just, I'm sick of it. Play basketball. Go play basketball. And with Tatum, it's just so whiny, right? Here's kind of what I've started to believe with umpiring and with officiating. I think it all balances out, right? You might get hosed on one call, but it's going to come back to you in a couple of pitches. There were some at-bats yesterday where a pitcher didn't get the call in the outside corner. Maybe it was a little bit off the zone. And then a couple of pitches later, a couple of inches off the zone again, and this call he gets. And then the hitter wants to get all mad. It's like, well, that hitter can get mad, I guess, but he's lucky he wasn't running a couple pitches ago, right? I think these things balance out. And with Tatum and Brown, some of these players, they just think they should be going to the line every play. And it's just not how it works. It can't work that way. So stop whining. And this is why I'm I'm kind of tempted, even though I like the Celtics more, I'm tempted to pick the Warriors. Because the Celtics, I believe, are the better team or they're just as good. And they're bigger and more physical. And they're, they're better defensively. And I want to pick that team, but they will only play good 44 minutes out of 48. And to play a great team, you need to play 48 great minutes. Now, they were able to get away with it against the Bucs in the, in the heat because both of those teams were missing guys. Middleton was out. Hero was out. So 44 good minutes every night was enough. They're going to need 48 against the Warriors, and I just don't know if they have that in them. I haven't seen it yet. Because for 10% of the game, they're off on the side whining or they're flailing about this or they're flopping about this. I just, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I want to pick the Celtics, but I have a really hard time doing it because I just don't believe that they can actually be a serious basketball game from whistle to whistle. And that's what it's going to take to beat the Warriors especially now that they're going on the road. I believe they're going on the road, right? The game starts in San Francisco. Let me check here. I got the game in front of me. Yeah, Chase Center. Game one, Thursday night, 8 p.m. on ESPN. Hopefully Mike Breen will be back. Van Gundy sounded horrendous the other day. <laughs> he sounded so bad. Sounded like he had the plague and consumption and COVID. And he must have been testing negative, I guess, because I know Mike Breen missed it. We got Mark Jones instead. Wow! Love, I love Mark Jones. Let's take a break. Let's get back to the Brewers. That's what we really want to talk about today. Two great doubleheader wins yesterday. Let's talk about some of the big storylines, my big takeaways. I'll share them with you coming up next. Sports show talked a lot of Brewers tonight. I get my thoughts on the NBA Finals. Still two days away, so just kind of throwing some things out there, seeing how they land. Uh, we did that back in the four o'clock hour. You can catch it all on the podcast. It'll go up just after six o'clock. Search Wisco Sports Show wherever you get your shows. Uh, it's not hard to find. You guys listen to podcasts. It's it's not hard. You can find it. Just look up Wisco Sports Show. David Gasper is here from reviewing the brew. Uh, Gasper, before we get into this weekend, I got a call from our friend Rock and Rick. Uh, because he said there's a guy in the minors who hits for average, hits 500-foot bombs, and supposedly was major league ready, and he didn't know the guy's name. I was supposed to ask you. Some other listeners maybe suggested that it's uh, Joey Weimer. Do we have a Joey Weimer update? Because Rock and Rick wants to know. Oh, so, sorry, sorry. I need to turn you up. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Start that thought over. Okay, now go. My bad. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it is, <laughs> it is definitely Joey Weimer. He is the... He is the guy. Uh, it's Mammoth Home Runs. He's down in Biloxi in Double A right now. Um, he's hitting 291. Uh, he's got 12 homers already, 12 stolen bases. Uh, so power, average, and speed. 
952 OPS. I mean, he's doing everything that we saw last year uh, when he was with Carolina and, and Wisconsin, and he's continuing it now at Double A. So I don't know if he's big league ready quite yet. I don't think the Brewers are going to be that aggressive with him. Uh, I think we're going to want to see him in Triple A first before they just move him straight up. Um, but he, he's someone I really legitimately believe that we could see in Milwaukee by September. Uh, we could see him by the end of the season. Well, Rock and Rick wants him now. That's why he asks. He he thought right. he thought when Hunter Renfro I mean, went down, maybe we see some Weimer. Hey, Tyrone Taylor is doing a pretty good job in his place, man. I mean, the last couple of days, I, we hit what two homers yesterday, one in each game. I mean, he's been he's been hitting the ball extremely well. Well, let's start with there. I wanted to ask you about Tyrone Taylor. What do you what do you do with him? Because Lorenzo Kane had a nice little Sunday, and I still don't know what we're doing with Yelich. And Renfro was mashing, but then he got hurt. So I. We have all these outfielders who we like, and we want them all to play well, and we want to find a role for all of them. I just, by the end of the season, maybe do we need to boil the outfield down? Or I I don't know. What do we do with Tyrone Taylor? Tyrone Taylor, I think the way that he's going, you have to have him play just about every single day. Um, I I know Kane, you know, had a a good couple of days there. Maybe he's starting to heat up. But, I mean, Tyrone Taylor has just been on another level, Uh, and and he provides so much more offensively than I think Kane can at this point. So when Renfro comes back, I think you need to have Taylor play every single day or just about every single day in center field. You know, if you want to get Kane in there, you know, maybe push uh, Taylor to uh, left field, maybe have Yelich DH, because uh, as we've seen with Yelich's throwing arm, it's it's abysmal. Yeah. Uh, so they might need to look uh, elsewhere. I mean, Tyrone Taylor is a really good uh, defender at all three outfield spots. So, you know, maybe put him in left if you want to get Kane some at-bats in the Kane some innings in center field. Uh, but Taylor, I think you got to pencil him into the lineup every single day, even when Renfro returns. Have you seen any tweets, by the way, about uh, moving Lorenzo Kane to first? That always seems like that's what we do to old outfielders at the very end. I haven't seen it. I'm just, I'm wondering if, if at some point this year, I'm going to see a tweet that suggests it and I'm going to save it because I know someone's going to say it, but you haven't seen that anywhere? I have not, okay, thankfully, because that would just be. Oh my goodness! Well, that's, like, what, that's, that's what we was, did with Brock. Like, I'd, like, I'd, I'd more easily see Yelich being pushed to first base than yeah. Lorenzo Kane. Lorenzo Kane is not going to first base. He still has his speed, and he can run down fly balls like nobody's business. You're not putting that's that man at first base. He is staying in center field if, he's, think, if he's playing. Uh, you just know how it works. Like when we don't know what to do with the guy, we will put him at first. But Rowdy Tellez is hitting pretty well right now, so we'll we'll check back. We'll check back on. Yeah. I, I just I want like plus. 850 odds on the fans crying for one guy to be moved to first at some point this season. I, it, because it I would, would probably money. be Yelich, if anything. Okay. I would bet money on that. That's all I'm saying. At some point, it, Kane doesn't make sense. You're right, but you know how that works. Um, what about Keston Hira? Where does he fit in all this? Because I, now I was kind of in and out to this weekend's games, but today, as I'm getting ready for the show and I'm kind of organizing everything, he actually has some really good numbers depending on matchups. And it seems like maybe he's a worthwhile player. And the last couple of times we've talked, that hasn't been the case. Yeah. I mean, for Keston, he really has seemed to have been able to heat up against right-handed pitchers. Uh, he still struggles immensely against lefties. Um, and he's in the lineup uh, again today and he's facing a left-handed starting pitcher. So maybe don't uh, be expecting much from, from here today until they get into that bullpen. But, I mean, he's shown the ability to to slug and hit the ball hard against righties. Um, so that may be something where, you know, having, you know, in an ideal lineup with everyone healthy, having Kira, you know, maybe be the DH against right-handed pitchers and have McCutcheon DH against lefties. Uh, they can kind of platoon that role. That way you get McCutcheon in against who he's good 
against he's good against and then Hira playing against who he's good against. Uh, and that really kind of would optimize the lineup, I think, for the Brewers. I think that's the best option for him right now. I don't think there's any other spot or, or until he continues to to produce where they can justify putting him in the lineup every single day. I think he's got to be in a part-time role still. Okay. And the, the best part-time role for him is having him face right-handed pitchers whenever he can. You need part-time players. You, not every guy is going to play every day. And I know our expectation with mm-hmm. Keston here is very high, but if they can go him and McCutcheon and, and find a role that works for both of them, I'm keen with that. I'm happy with that. We're talking with David Gasper, reviewing the brew. Okay, I have a takeaway from each of yesterday's doubleheader games. Let's start with game one. Adam McAlvey wrote about it as a seesaw game, as a game that was very back and forth, right? Like one team jumped out to the lead, then the Cubs took the lead, then the Brewers took it back. I like seeing that from the Brewers because when the Brewers get stale, like think of game one against the Braves, right? They get one burst of offense. They get that two-run home run in the seventh, and that's what they get. And you need to win with that or you don't win. And that's too often, I feel like, how this team works. And if I can get multiple attacks of offense throughout the game and some big swings, and and if the Brewers are able to take a lead and then lose it and then still come back to take it again and win, that's a great sign for me. I like seeing that yesterday in game one. Yeah, it was certainly a very good sign uh, for them. I mean, yeah, typically what we've seen with these guys, you know, they get a couple of runs across and perhaps they miss an opportunity to add on. I mean, they had that early on there, you know, after the – the Jace Peterson home run, they had a chance to add some more runs. They weren't able to, and then the Cubs took the lead. And then it's, you know, it's kind of this, oh, no, here we go again, you know, among Brewers fans. Uh, but then, I mean, they are able to come back and get a couple more runs across and, and get a big lead and, and hold on to it. Um, you know, they were up 7-4. to four. I know it kind of got a little close there, but they were still able to to hold on to the lead. And, yeah, I mean, that that's a, a really good sign. It's a sign of a, a healthy, functioning offense. I mean, we're 50 games into the season now. Uh, the Brewers are top 10 uh, in, in runs per game. I mean, who would have thought? It's bizarre. Well, and I and I brought this up because the Cubs loaded the bases against uh, Ashby in game two, and I want to talk about Aaron Ashby next. But, you know, the Brewer, the Cubs stranded or loaded the bases, nobody out, and they failed to score. And when that happened, I thought, see, like, it's not just us. This happens to other teams, and I, I think that's just how baseball works. Brewers fans, we think that our team is especially bad at it, and I guess I don't know. I'd have to look at the numbers, but – the numbers bear out that the Brewers' offense, as dismal as we sometimes make it out to be, is actually still pretty good. And I guess that's more commentary on the state of baseball as a whole rather than just the Brewers. But Yeah, offense is certainly down uh, across the league. And, you know, yeah, yeah I mean, you know, I think fans, you know, in general just kind of get a little too, like, you know, pigeonholes, like, looking. Because, I mean, we're only watching the, the Brewers every single day. You know, yeah. we're, we're not watching the Diamondbacks. We're not watching the Reds. We're not watching we're the Mariners. Bubble. We're not watching all these other teams. So we don't really know kind of how they're doing. Uh, so that, you know, just kind of changes things up. But yeah, like, you know, with your comment there on, you know, the state of the league and offense being down as a whole, you know, I, I really think uh, some of the numbers that, that you can look at this, you have OPS and you have OPS plus, right? OPS plus is, you know, rated, you know, related to league average, you know, 100 is league average. Christian Yelich last season had an OPS plus of 99. So he was just under a league average hitter, had a 736 OPS. This year, so far, Yelich has a 695 OPS, far lower, and his OPS plus is 97. Like, it's kind of right around that same mark, and he's doing so much, you know, worse offensively when you look at his numbers. So that that's just kind of a, a sign of, you know, around the league, offense has been down for the first couple of months. Um, but still, you know, overall, across the league, you know, with, with how everyone's doing, the Brewers overall are doing well, all things considering. You brought up Yelich, by the way, really quickly. It seems like we're going to get one huge hit from him a month. 
So I'm really excited with tomorrow being June 1st. I am going to wake up feeling like a brand new man tomorrow. You know, the possibilities are endless with Christian Yelich starting starting tonight at midnight. That's the, that's the trajectory we're on. Is you're going to have one huge hit a month and we'll get a Twitter video and then that's it. And then we got to wait until the first of the next month. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a rough couple of weeks uh, for, for Yelich here. And yeah, it seems like he's got the stretch of like a week or so or a couple of days where it seems like he's found it again and he's yeah. going and then then he loses it right right there and it's it's tough for him to find again and you know i'm really not sure what it is i know a lot of people have theories as to what's going on whether it's his back whether it's his knee or or the fear of injuring his knee or his approach or or whatever it is um you know really yelich is the only one that truly knows um and you know i guess we're just kind of along for the ride and until he figures it out and you know, hopefully he he can find it soon. Well, look, tomorrow he can start tomorrow. Yeah, I swear to God, yeah. it'll be it'll be, nice. be this week. Maybe maybe sustain it for more than just a, a day or two and get more than just one hit a mo- one big hit a month. Baby steps. Maybe, maybe like step. one a week. You yeah, know, yeah, that, yeah. that'd be nice. Well, maybe once every two weeks, like a paycheck, maybe something like that. We'll start. We'll start there. <laughs> we we'll we'll we gotta progress our way up to this. <laughs> David Gasper reviewing the brew. Oh, really quickly, sixty seconds. Uh, Ethan Small's debut. What'd you think? Um, I think it was, I think it was all right. His first two innings were, were solid. were good. Um, you know, he missed big time with a lot of his off speed pitches, you know, his curveball. Uh, if he missed with it, just kind of really missed up in the zone far away. You know, Craig council said after the game, you know, the misses have to be a little bit better. And he just, he got into some trouble there in the third inning and just couldn't get away out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think if, if he was able to, um, you know, he would have been able to go a couple more innings and, and go a little bit longer, but you know, just kind of got long-winded, like 40 pitches almost that inning. So, you know, overall, you know, I, I think it was it was okay. Um, you know, I'd like to see you know, a little bit more improvement, obviously, with, with the misses on those uh, pitches. But, um, yeah, if he can be more competitive with the ones that he misses on, he's going to be a really, really good pitcher. A lot better than Aaron Ashby's debut against the Cubs last year. Aaron Ashby, <laughs> th- that start last Very- night reminded me of Freddie Peralta and what he did to the Reds in early 2019. Just an early, early career, just kind of, wow, big moment, kind of showing potential type of game. What did you think of Ashby yesterday? Yeah, Ashby dominated. I mean, it, it was uh, amazing uh, to watch. I mean, him just mowing down the side. Um, and, and really, I mean, it, it just kind of shows a little bit of a dichotomy between Ashby and, and Small. I mean, these guys have been, you know, the two top pitching prospects for a couple of years now. You know, Ashby has come up first, and, you know, now he's got all this experience under his belt. Small didn't have any MLB experience. So, I mean, I think that also kind of showed in these guys' two outings. Um, you know, and really for Aaron Ashby, um, this is a guy that the Brewers were re- really kind of uh, expecting to see, you know, really kind of showing out and, and finally getting that opportunity to to go deep into a game there. Um, so it, it's really kind of a, a bright sign for the future for him uh, that he was able to go, come out and do that. And, you know, hopefully Ethan Small can kind of, you know, take what he saw from there and be able to, to implement that going forward as well. Get back into the lab and maybe, I mean, you don't, do you think they use him as a reliever at any point this year? I think it's possible. Um, I mean, once this rotation is is healthy, I mean, with Freddie Peralta not coming back until probably late August at the earliest, um, you know, they might, you know, just kind of keep them more ready for the rotation, um, just in case they have they have a need to come up there. Spot but yeah. you know, really, like once everyone's healthy, once Woodruff is back, you know, there's really not a spot for uh, Small as much in the rotation. Um, you know, he'd be the number six starter once Woodruff is healthy. 
So, you know, then he could be in that swingman kind of role, but he's going to need some experience in the bullpen. I think the Brewers are going to want to do that at first in AAA, just just kind of get him into a routine of if he, if he has to come in from the bullpen. Um, so I very easily could see that happening in the near future. We'll see it coming then. He's not going to sneak up on us as a reliever because they'll want to kind of groom him right. in that role a little bit. All right, that's a good point. And you can follow David on Twitter at DGasper24, and he will keep you updated. David's got an eye on the minors. Uh, Joey Weimer, so you can get our updates there. And Hedbert Perez as well. The hype train is yes. roaring. That train really is picking up speed. Yes, it is. It's jumping coal into the engine. It's great. <laughs> it's hauling right now. Should we do our random brewers before we're done here? We should. Uh, we should. I believe I went first last time. Would you like to go first this time? I would love to go first. All right. Who do you got? All Here right. Go. So this guy was on the 2013 and 2014 brewers. Uh, so we're going era. back to those days. And he has my most fun, most favorite name to say of anyone in brewers history. And that is Alfredo Figaro. Oh, good one. Good poll. He had 33 appearances in 2013. He made five starts somehow (laughs) and went 74. He pitched 74 innings that year for the 2013 Brewers. He gave up 15 homers. Wow. He somehow ended up with an ERA just around four. Um, But, like, I remember, like, you know, him coming into games and, like, you know, after he got out of an inning, like, they'd play – you know, like the like like the figaro 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 like, like that. that kind of thing. I think from like Looney Tunes or like where, wherever it was, like some song of just some dude, some opera dude saying like Figaro uh, a whole bunch, and oh. that like that just kind of like like made him like one of my absolute favorites. If I can find an Alfredo Figaro Figaro jersey somewhere somewhere, I'm gonna buy it. Uh, by the way, the 2014 Brewers all name team. You have Wei Chung Wang, uh, Rob, oh, Rob he was the worst. Rob Wooten. Uh, Matt Pagnozzi. Why do I not remember? I don't remember him at all. There's not one cell in my brain that has anything related to that guy on there. Uh, I don't remember either. Okay, well, yeah, that's weird. Well, then we probably don't need to talk about him. Uh, my random brewer, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> his career spanned from 98 to 2009. He played with Florida, the New York Mets, and St. Louis. He started 34 games for the Brewers in 2009. It was his only season in Milwaukee, and it was last season. I know who it is. Please tell me. See, who is it? It's Braden freaking Looper. Yes, Braden Looper. The worst. Well. How did he start 34 games for that team? He had an area over, what, five or six? That's what blew me away. I was like, wait, he started 30. He he had, like. It was, I think it was 35 appearances and 34 of them were starts. Like this dude came in and said, I am starting. And that's that for the 2009 <laughs> Brewers. That was enough. That was and all just like, sure. Yeah. An ERA over five. He led the league in home runs allowed and earned runs allowed. Uh, well, there's a reason that this is random Brewers. That, and not best that was Brewers the Ken time. Maka experiment. He sucked. Oh my God. The worst. The oh. absolute worst. Now my day has been ruined again because we brought up the Ken Maka era. Better or worse than Supon? Oh, man. That is that is tough. Those guys are like one-two. All right. I all mean. Right. That's fair. Uh, so we have. I, I almost got to go Ken Maka because, I mean, he really had, like, you had bookend, you, you had playoff appearances in 2008 and 2011. Mm-hmm. The two years in between that you didn't. Because you had Ken Maka as manager. Oh, uh, smacking his gum. Oh, and my God. you had Braden Looper as your ace, apparently, in 2009. I don't know what that was about. Braden Looper falls below the Dave Bush line. 
By the way, if we're if we're measuring Maybe value of so. starting, he's falling below the Dave Bush line. So today we Look have at how far this rotation has come since the Braden Looper days. The, Bra- the Braden Looper era really is what it was. The 2009 was defined by the Packers losing to the Cardinals and Braden Looper. <laughs> say what you want about his effectiveness, but he was there. He was available, and the best ability is availability. David Gasper, you know this. Sure, I, I guess on a general sense, but uh... in a general sense. Okay, uh, this has gone on long enough. I need to let you go. I feel like I've kept you for an hour. This is fun. Should we do it again next week? We should. All right. God bless, David Gasper. Thank you. Take care. Yep. Thank you, man. Take care, David Gasper. Reviewing the brew, random brewers, Alfredo Figaro, and Braden Looper. Wow. Uh, whatever will we cook up next week? I can hardly go to sleep tonight just thinking about it. Uh, I will be up all night with anticipation. Let's take a break. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.